Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the metaverse, Web3, and more with stories that matter to the crypto world. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Hash. It's Coindesk TV. Maybe you're listening on the podcast. We don't care. We're just happy you're here. It's Tuesday. I'm Zach Seward. We got Wendy O, Jen Sinassi, and Will Foxley. We are here to get you caught up on all the crazy things going on in the world of crypto. And Will is leading us off today. Take it away. Starting off with an interesting story. BlockFi is getting a $250 million revolving line of credit from SBS FTX. This is to shore up their accounts. We don't have a lot of information about BlockFi's books, but if they're getting this sizable of a loan from FTX, that means that things might not be in very good shape. This comes, of course, after what happened with Celsius and Three Arrows Capital the last two weeks, where both those firms either had to suspend and withdraws for Celsius, and then Three Arrows Capital just went belly up entirely. BlockFi took a pretty large hit from what happened with Three Arrows Capital. They were able to liquidate and seize a bunch of collateral that they had on the books from Three Arrows Capital. But as part of that, you're going to take some sort of losses. We don't know what those losses are, but you can speculate they are at least decent if BlockFi is now in position that they're having to take out this credit from SBF. Zach, I want to throw this one over to you. We're continuing to see contagion within crypto markets where you know one financial player blows up, another financial player is affected by that. And it leads to this domino theory, right? Where everyone starts collapsing in on themselves. But it seems like we might have a savior in our midst. Sam Bakeman-Fried, what's your take on that? I think the question is, will it be enough, right? I mean, these firms in the crypto lending space are down pretty significantly. Some reporting suggests that this may not be enough to stop the bleeding. But I think for the time being, it is important that private firm is stepping up to help another private firm. Apparently, FTX thinks the long-term prospects for BlockFi look good enough to extend this credit, and they're doing so. And that is something that is probably good for the system and protects depositors in the near term, at least. So we'll see what shakes out if this is the fix, if this is the cure, or if this is just the first step of several to try to shore up some of these centralized crypto lenders that have had a rough go of it of late. You know, whether or not they're going to see continued user adoption, whether or not deposits are going to resume at a level that was seen previously to when the profits were looking a bit more healthy, that's still an open question. So we'll see if this ultimately gets them steady back to business operations. Obviously, we saw BlockFi made some cuts, made some layoffs already. 
So they've already been facing the cost-cutting measures, and now they're bringing on some additional capital through this credit facility from FTX and Sam Bankman fried And it's going to be interesting to see if this stabilizes operations at what remains a really big player in the crypto space on the crypto lending side of things. But I'm going to toss this to Wendy for her thoughts on this one. Thanks, guys. Happy to be here. And also, Taco Tuesday. Happy Taco Tuesday. Hope you're all eating uh, delicious Taco tacos Tuesday. Day. We have to, we have Wendy, to shout out Taco don't Tuesday. Don't say happy to be here. You're here all the time. <laughs> I just, I'm very excited today. I miss you guys. I'm, I'm having, having a little bit of withdrawals because we didn't get to hang out enough. So anyways, all right, cut to the facts. Well, this is just my opinion. So this is a good thing that we're seeing this bailout and this is a bad thing. It's a bad thing because we're seeing the crypto industry being monopolized. That's just my personal opinion. When you accept money from somebody as some sort of a bailout or some sort of help, there's always favors that are going to be expected of you later. That's just how it works. That's how it works on the streets. That's how it works in business, et cetera. So we're seeing this move from decentralization to become more centralized. However, we have a lot of people that want regulation. We have a lot of people that want protection. We have a lot of people, especially brand new investors, that are a little bit weary about what's happening, especially with this gnarly, gnarly volatility that we're seeing. On the good side, on the positive side, I like crypto centralized platforms that offer similar services to banking. And the reason why it's easier to get loans, it's easier to have access to your funds. I know that can be debatable, but I feel like a lot of these centralized crypto entities do a lot better job than the banks do. I tried to get a loan as a small business in the past and I wasn't able to do it at my bank. So if I needed to get a loan, I can do it in crypto a lot easy. So there's a good side and there's a bad side about this. However, I just get a little bit worried that the industry is going to be a lot less decentralized than it was when it first started. But I guess now it deter- the market gets to determine whether that's a good thing or a bad thing. Because realistically, even though you do have these really, really big players, the people in the market still pretty much do dictate what happens in crypto. So it will be interesting to see the sentiment as we start to see FTX or SAM or whoever it is start to kind of merge over and partner with more and more companies. I think there's a lot of really interesting conversations that that point brings up and you're seeing them bubble up on crypto Twitter, right? Okay, you know, 12, 13 years into this experiment, has crypto recreated the systems that it sought to displace? We have all these centralized players who are pretty opaque in terms of what's on the balance sheet at any given point in time, whether that's Celsius, BlockFi, or Three Rows Capital. These sort of centralized people who have sprouted up around what is a decentralized technology I think there's a lot of people who are kind of like DeFi maxis who are saying, hey, if this was all on chain, you could at least see it coming and you could act accordingly, right? So a lot of people are saying, hey, this is a failure of CeFi, not a failure of DeFi. And I think if we move more toward a DeFi system that is truly uh, open, auditable, and there, at least people can see the cliff that they're about to go off and potentially act accordingly. And what has happened with some of these centralized lenders is you can't really see that. You can't really see what's going on behind the scenes. And so you end up having what looks a lot like the big bank bailouts that crypto rose up to displace following the 2008 financial crisis. I'll toss it to Jen for her thoughts. Though. Yeah. So while Sam might be seen as a savior here, I think he's also saving himself, right? So we have FTX liquidated, liquidated Celsius. We have Alameda Research that provided a revolving line of credit to Voyager Digital. And now FTX and BlockFi. And I think we've seen over the past year, Sam Bankman-Fried has been getting really cozy in Washington. We all know that regulators are watching what's happening in the market now. They're watching how retail investors, retail customers are being affected. And if 
someone or an entity who has the means doesn't step in to save these firms when they can, I think it's just going to be bad for the entire industry when it comes to regulation as we move forward. And I think that Sam can see that. So I think while he's saving others, he's also just saving himself. I think it's crazy to look at what's happening with Coinbase, what is happening with Crypto.com, and then look at what's happening with FTX, right? Coinbase had to lay off staff. Crypto.com had to lay off staff. FTX not only did not have to lay off any staff, not only is keeping its sports sponsorship deals, which we will get to in a second, but they're also backing all these huge projects out there. BlockFi is not a small company. A lot of people come into crypto because of BlockFi, because they found out that you can get Bitcoin and then get interest on top of it. And now we have FTX, which is such a large firm in the span of two, three years, they became this big that they're backing all these other firms that are also very large in space. That's pretty remarkable. And I think it's worth noting. Large in some respects, but small in others. I think a, r- a really important thing that Brett Harrison, FTX US CEO said at Consensus was that globally, this is a company that is still 250 people, which is kind of hard to believe that this small company that's playing such a big role is still pretty lean in, in terms of human resources. That might be part of the part of the factor there. Anyway, you know what we're gonna move to? We're gonna move to Sports Desk. Sports Desk. Oh, I've never noticed that. Ah, you gotta love that. At the end. Well, you've never noticed that. Nice. That's my favorite nice. part. That's the best part. That's the best part. So that's 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 the pain. That's the pain in the market. And sports desk may be facing some pain because according to the New York Post and some unnamed sources, FTX and other folks who are looking to slap their names on professional sports teams, those deals are not going through in this market. So we saw a explosion of naming rights deals from crypto firms over the last bull run, but apparently that is no more. There was a deal potentially with the Los Angeles Angels, pictured here, they actually play in Anaheim, and that deal fell through according to the New York Post's reporting. So this is interesting. This is a sign of, you know, different different market, different conditions, different conditions here. Obviously, some of the big naming deals that have been struck for many years are still going to be here. An expert noted in this piece that those are probably not going away anytime soon, but new deals, said expert says, are unlikely to be brokered anytime soon. I saw Wendy piping up because this is LA adjacent. So I'm going to toss it to her. (laughs) This is, you know what, this is my home. Anytime we cover something that is from Southern California, born and bred here, I'm a big Angels fan. So LA Dodger fans, don't come for me. Don't come for me. You guys still have the best hot dogs in the world ever. But I go to the Angel games and I bring my baby there because they're just so much fun. You get those big Angel hat nachos. They're absolutely delicious. And I just feel really sad that they're that FTX is not going to be sponsoring the Angels because I absolutely love them. The Angels are super, super wholesome. And go Angels. Well, I'm a Giants fan, so I also hate the Dodgers. So just uh, we're, on, we're on the same page there. Shout out. Except for that time that the Angels beat the Giants in the World Series in 2002. Yay! Still Sorry, anyway, I had to do that. Well, take it away. Gotta let things go, man. It's been, it's been a lot of time. Uh, go Rockies, by the way. Actually, don't really care about baseball. So whoever wins, wins. I want to go to one point in this story, which is about like the Washington, D.C. angle. Uh, I loved how they pointed this out. I'm struggling to find the line here. But basically, they were like, the D.C. Sports Center is like, it's the best place for lobbying because you'll have politicians go to a baseball game and see like the little FTX pouch. And then the politician will like, like your lobbyist more or something like that. I love that line of logic. Maybe it's true. Maybe it is the case, right? We've seen some other sports deals go through in D.C. And that is a hot market because you can put it 
in front of a lot of politicians' eyes. I've even seen one pitch. Hold on, hold on. Which, get my point which sports deal went through in DC baseball? Which sports deal went through? Tara Luna, which is just insane. There you go. There you go. <laughs> it's beautiful. But like to your own reporting, Zach, right? Like people in the organization had no idea what Tara Luna is. So like these politicians, I don't know if they're going to know either, right? Like if they see an FTX pouch, it'll be like, oh, it's like another like hot dog company, another soda brand. Like who really cares? So I don't know. I want to push back on that line of logic. I don't think it's worth it more. I don't think the sports world in DC is good enough to get all this crypto money. When you give it to other people, give it to the Rockies, give it maybe to Los Angeles, I guess, if you want. That's my only take on the story. I apologize. It wasn't a very nuanced one. <laughs> Wendy, I think I saw your hand go up before mine. You want to go first? You, d- you just don't want to talk about sports, Jen. It's okay. <laughs> I'm just like, I, yeah, don't be no, scared. I don't know. I thought when you said that the hot dogs are really great, I thought all of the hot dogs were the same in all of the stadiums. But I will give one take before we talk more about hot dogs and nachos and go go on a tangent. The article compared this to the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s, right? And I think last year when we saw all of this money being spent, we said the same thing. Like, what's going to happen when, a bit, when the bear market comes and maybe some of these companies don't exist anymore? What's going to happen? And I think we're we are on the brink of seeing what's going to happen next. I think, I don't know. I just think this is, it, it doesn't make sense for exchanges to be spending money on sports partnerships. So the experts that's, quote, that's quoted in the article is absolutely right. These big sports sponsorships are really for the masses. And right now the masses are looking at the markets. They're losing money. It's not the time to bringing new customers into the market. It's the time to be building the technology and keeping your employees in the positions that they are in. So I think that this is absolutely right. We should kind of lay off of the sports spending. Um, and I don't know what's going to happen next. But Zach, I'll toss it back to you. I mean, maybe it's already working. We saw a headline in Decrypt not long ago saying that sports fans are twice as likely to buy Bitcoin, Ethereum, and NFTs. That's according to a Seton Hall survey of 1,500 people. So maybe it is working. And I think we've long talked about sort of this psychographic overlap of sports fans and potentially risk-friendly investors. There essentially is a strong Venn diagram there. And I think there's some of the data starting to uh, support that, at least according to this survey of 1,500 people conducted by Seton Hall and covered by Decrypt. But I'm going to to Wendy. I saw her hand up. Oh, 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 Jen's coming in. What do you got? Oh, wait. Who wants to go? I think we need to define what a sports fan is in these surveys. It's like, yeah, people who like sports are also going to, are also more likely to get crypto. Like, okay, yeah, everyone likes a sport, I think. So like, let's just define that. Except for you. people. I I like gymnastics. Seton Hall put it this way in their headline. It said (laughs) nearly 60% of avid sports fans have indulged in crypto. Just so you know. Mm. I don't like it. I kind of just want to say that I think it's equally important to when you're analyzing your budget and analyzing what you want to spend your money on as a company, I think it's equally important to kind of diversify. Marketing gets a really, really bad rap in crypto, but at the same time, marketing is, it's a global thing. Like every single company markets. If you don't market, if you don't allocate money, time, what resources into marketing, nobody's going to know what your product is. A lot of the top companies like outside of crypto they have marketing geniuses behind them. And that's probably why they are the top brands. So I think it's important to have a healthy medium and not to kind of sleep on the sports fans. And the reasons why is because when you're looking at sports fans, it's basically a lot of blue collar workers. It's a lot of middle class, lower middle class, poor folks. And 
I feel like if that's the type of people that we want to get into crypto, because that could help improve their quality of lives, obviously with proper education and, you know, making sure they know what they're doing. I think it's good to spend money on sports marketing because a lot of, a lot of companies in crypto, they get this wrong and they think to themselves, okay, I'm going to spend money and I'm going to see instant price pump. No, you don't want to do that. You want to market for brand awareness. Brand awareness is just as powerful as any other methods. And if you are consistently putting out your brand and what you're doing, your, your message, it's going to resonate with people, especially when you're looking at different cultures and different subgroups. That goes a very, very long way. And it's also known as loyalty. And you want to get people who are going to be loyal to your brand, to your product, to whatever it is you're offering. So I do support the marketing it's, um, for sports fans, but there does have to be some sort of moderation included there. Great riff. I just want to point out, Zach pulled that number out of nowhere. That was pretty impressive. She yeah. came in. Really, <laughs> really solid <laughs> analytical mind up there in the top left box. <laughs> Love it. Yeah, man. Do, doing, doing what I can. You know, it is sad that ad patches are coming to Major League Baseball. That's the sub story here, okay? They're already in the NBA. They got the helmet thing in the NHL. MLB has been a holdout, but no longer. Next year, they're coming. I bet you there's going to be at least one crypto one. Our next story is going to be a fun story. You guys ready for this one? You guys ready? You guys ready? Well, it's not really fun. It's kind of ridiculous. All right. We got to talk about it, though, because who doesn't love Dogecoin? Not financial advice. And I also have a moon bag of Dogecoin for full disclosure. I think everybody does. Anyways, this story right here, Musk, Tesla, SpaceX are sued for alleged Dogecoin (laughs) pyramid scheme. And the lawsuit is for $258 billion for Dogecoin, over Dogecoin, okay? Let's read a couple stats from this particular article here. Well, actually, this is from the Decrypt article because that was easier for me to find. Um, so basically, the person that is suing them, his name is M- Mr. Keith Johnson. He's asking for $86 billion in damages alongside with triple damages of $172 billion. And he's claiming defendants falsely and deceptively claim that Dogecoin is a legitimate investment when it has no value at all. And he's see- Mr. Johnson is seeking a class action lawsuit status for the suit and aims to represent other allegedly harmed investors. Interestingly enough, billionaire businessman Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks, said that he believes Dogecoin has a value as a payment system. And Elon Musk rebutted and said that he noted that Tesla accepts Dogecoin as payment for merchandise and reiterated that SpaceX will do the same soon. And quote, I just know a lot of people who are not that wealthy who, you know, have encouraged me to buy and support Dogecoin. Also, too, Elon Musk tweeted out the other day that he will continue to buy and support Dogecoin. Who wants this one? Who wants this one? Let's give it to Will. I want it. Okay, I just looked this up because I'm really curious. The lawsuits for like 250 billion, something like that, but the market cap of Dogecoin is only 8 billion right now. So like, I'm not <laughs> sure where any of this money is going to come from, right? And like, even looking at the historical market cap, I'm trying to find it right now, the realized market cap, this is per Masari over the last year. It's like tiny compared to what they're asking for right now, asking for $250 billion. This chart's not loading. I'm sorry. I would love to give you a number. Maybe it does in a second. But it's m- much smaller than what they're asking for in this lawsuit itself. So I don't even know where this money would come from. Obviously, a lot of people lost money in the Dogecoin thing because it went up to like 80 cents and then it crashed a lot. Some people made a lot of money as well, right? So like, how do you dispute these things? And when it comes to class action lawsuits in crypto, you do see them every market cycle, but there's not really a good way of figuring out how to get this money back. And you basically see in two ways, right? You see it with the founders, you get a class action lawsuit against them. And then you see with the celebrities who pump these tokens. We have seen the SEC go after a few celebrities, especially like last cycle, 2017, 2018. 
but we eh, I don't really know if Elon Musk on the like the fence here or like if he's culpable for what happened because he was just pumping it. Like he didn't take money from the Dogecoin Foundation, if there even is one, right? It was just sort of like saying, like, buy Bitcoin. Like who's who's going to give him Bitcoin to pump Bitcoin? That's not happening. Zach, give it to you. Yeah, I don't really get it. I mean, Tesla and SpaceX are also being sued here, but that's like a why is that number so big? I'm, that's a big, scary number. I don't really get it. Um, $258 billion. Like, good luck, maybe? I don't know. That's a big number, and I don't really know what to make of this. The Bloomberg story that this is based on doesn't provide a lot of information. Just, hey, says that this is a matter of public record, and you should know about it. That's all I got. Whether or not this goes anywhere, who knows? But I guess to the point that Dogecoin has no value at all, you don't have to be like crazy or have a moon bag. Uh, I don't have a Dogecoin moon bag. Sorry, Wendy. Uh, to say Zach, that there is value how dare here. You. I mean, sacrilege. Th- there is value uh, on the chart. We're looking at a, you know a $9 billion market cap and it's trading for like 7 cents and you can go to a Mavericks game or a Tesla store and buy some stuff with it. So maybe there is value there, but that feels disputable. But again, I'm no lawyer. And that's a big, old, gnarly number. Jen, you're kind of a lawyer. What are your thoughts? <laughs> I'm not a lawyer. <laughs> you're kind of a lawyer. Wait, let, let's just clear that up with everyone. <laughs> Dow lawyer. Not issuing legal advice or financial advice. Um, I also don't know what to, what to make of this, but it reminded me I was talking to anonymous crypto influencer the other day. And I asked them, you know, would you ever dox yourself? Like, why do you stay anonymous? And they said, you know, they just don't want to take the legal risk associated with that. And they consulted a lawyer in their jurisdiction and their lawyer said, well, you know, you talk about like X, Y, and Z tokens. And, and if someone in your jurisdiction found out who you were and sued you for giving financial advice that didn't benefit them, then you could potentially be liable. And so Wendy, I actually have a question for you. You are also a crypto influencer. Have you ever received legal advice on something Something like this. What are the chances of a lawsuit like this actually coming to fruition and us seeing like another um, kind of round of people suing influencers in the future like they sued celebrities in the past? Well, this is the thing. I have about six, I think five or six legal firms on retainer right now because we do things. What? We're very careful what we do on the channel. We always consult <laughs> different firms. And yes, we spend a lot, of, a, lot, a lot of money doing that. But one thing to note, the most important thing to note, anybody can sue anybody for whatever reason. Like anybody watching the show can sue any of the hosts by just talking about Dogecoin and say, you talked about Dogecoin and I bought in because you talked about it. You could literally sue anybody for anything. It doesn't matter if you're an influencer or whatever it is. So it's just important to make sure that you use proper disclaimers and that you're consulting a legal team or you're consulting an attorney and whatnot. And yes, anybody can get sued. I can get sued. And it just, unfortunately, it is what it is. And We do have a legal system put in place for real life matters. But as far as this story goes, and if you're going to listen to somebody who is a known meme poster on Twitter, especially somebody like Elon Musk that just tweets a lot of ridiculous stuff and you're putting money into it and you're not taking profit, I don't really know what to say for these people that are suing Elon Musk over Dogecoin. It's a meme coin. It's a cyclical meme coin. If you look at the chart, if you zoom out, you're going to see it goes up and it goes down. And it goes up and it goes down. And it's done this like on the weekly. I think we counted seven times on the live show yesterday. But that's all I have to say about that. If the hash ever gets sued, I, I will represent us in a court. It will just be oh, no. a big that one. Would be big disastrous. If the hash gets sued, Jen, 
Please Jen no. is kind of a lawyer. She Jen, please, can represent please me. No. Jen, please. Jen went to law school one time. Yeah. Jen kind of went to law school I one took time. law 101 in, or I took business law 101 at community college one time. I actually did with a small claims case and I did help an attorney prepare documents for a case, a real estate case that I had and we, we were able to settle. Wow. No one can get us. Iron, ironclad legal defense case. team. See? Oh my we're, goodness. We're yeah. we're, we got us. We got us. Free speech. Yeah. All right. Jen, take it away. You have one last story right. to get to. All right. Uh, so the Ukraine has sold CryptoPunk 5364. So this punk was donated in March when the country was fundraising for the war against Russia. As we know, there's a massive crypto fund that is going towards all kinds of things in the Ukraine, like medical supplies and bulletproof vests. They've just sold this punk to an anonymous buyer for 90 ETH. That comes in at about $100,000. It's just over $100,000 less than it was worth when it was donated. But I thought we could just bring up the conversation on Russia. You know, we started, we picked it up again at Consensus. Now they've sold this CryptoPunk. CryptoPunks have been in the news lately because Yuga Labs has just hired Noah from Christie's to, uh, I guess, like curate. run their CryptoPunks, curate their CryptoPunks initiative. They're giving all of the commercial rights to owners of CryptoPunks. I thought this was a great way to kick off a conversation about the OG NFT project. Wendy. Thank you. I absolutely love this story. So despite talking about certain countries, I think that crypto is a really, really great way to raise funds for charities. I raise funds for charities from the crypto community. It's been an amazing experience. Thank you to everybody who's donating to the self-care lab and also to House of Ruth. It's just been an amazing journey. And I just think it's so cool to see people from all over the world support a particular initiative and be able to give and be able to give very directly and transparently because with the sale of this CryptoPunk, even though when it was initially donated, it was worth X amount and now it's worth a little bit less due to market conditions, you can follow those transactions. You can see exactly where the CryptoPunk went. You can see how much it was sold for. And I feel like it's a lot, it's a better transparent way for people to give and to donate because I don't know about you guys, but I actually do have a lot of distrust in traditional charitable causes with some of the ways that they handle their money, especially some of the nonprofits and the larger ones. But that's a story for a different time. I'll take this one. It's pretty cool. I don't know, but let's get the CryptoPunk pack on the page. He kind of looks like a like a Ukrainian tank fighter. Like I feel like he's just in line with what they're looking for here. <laughs> see that? You see that? <laughs> Smoke a cigarette out there? I don't know. I can kind of see it. That's my one takeaway. Uh, this is, it's unfortunate, like the CryptoPunk dropped in value so much, but that is like the nature of playing with these digital assets, right? Like whether it's Bitcoin or ETH or whatever, like you're going to donate it. And the nice part is you have the censorship resistant money. The downside is like, it's very volatile. And so you might be donating what a million dollars to somebody. And then all of a sudden it's worth half of that. Uh, but that's part of the, the, the whole game. The censorship resistance of both digital assets of Bitcoin status and NFTs is also remarkable here, right? Like this NFT was given to the Ukrainian government and they could liquidate it whenever they wanted to, however they wanted to, and then get cash out of it. It's just like a piece of digital art, right? So that that is notable in and of itself. Normally, when we talk about these things, we're thinking about stable coins, we're thinking about Bitcoin. And that stuff is like really easy to wrap your mind around in terms of like being able to sell it whenever you want. But for an NFT to have a spot market and a price for it that you're able to liquidate and get something out of it and hopefully use it for like the correct war efforts here and the correct uh, parts of going forward and like liberating Ukraine, that is, that's pretty notable. Zach, I'll throw it to you for last take. They said JPEGs were a liquid. That's a highly liquid, highly valuable JPEG right there. Congrats to Ukraine. 
All right, that's it for the show today. We are going to wrap it there. We are going to be back tomorrow. We are the hash. This is Coindesk TV. I'm Zach. That's Wendy O, Jensen Assey, Will Foxley. We're here on TV and on the podcast. It's all good. And we hope you're doing well. Check us out. Coindesk Podcast Network, really great place to listen to some good stuff on the daily. It's good stuff. All right, that's it for today. Will. I thought we were done. I said gulp some that's water. It. Good work, man. Yeah, I was wondering. Appreciate I was like, you. Will's just going for it. All right. Sorry. I had faked you. Sorry about that. We're out of here. Bye, everybody. We'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. So if you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcasts at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening.